Friends and travelers, however you've arrived, I bid you welcome. Here at Let's Be Frank, we're about lives, and above all, living well. I don't suspect a podcast hosted by Benjamin Franklin could be about anything else. In my lifetime, I pursued the practice of moral improvement like a science, recording my successes, and yes, oftentimes reveling in my failings. It's my genuine hope, with our weekly almanac, to feed to a curious world delicious morsels of history in quick and concise installments, perfect for a nice sit in your favorite chair, a morning walk to work. At the end of each installment, I like to wrap it all up in a neat little parcel with a lesson you can apply to your own life, inspired by the events, personalities, and ideas covered in each episode. So sit back, relax, and together, let's make history. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to another installment of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind with me, your faithful friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. My beloved Junto, the autumn season is on the wind. Can you feel it? The maples begin to blush at the breath of the breeze. Cool air tempers the noxious scents of the city streets and... For whatever reason that nature may possess, the stars seem fixed closer in the heavens. A time for mulled ciders, crackling fires, where man is just as comfortable out of doors, in motion, and within, at leisure. Dear listener, what are the things in your time that embody fall? What are the drinks, the activities, the events that conjure the greatest representation of the season? I'd be eager to know as I continue my own education of your 21st century world. My friends, how do you belong in this season? A season of change to capture the imagination and conjure, perhaps, just a little bit of magic. A perfect season for journeys. For purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of several primary sources associated with Ben Franklin's life, knit together to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's episode is about journeys. It's about the people you meet along the way, and it's about the gifts they leave you, and you with them. My beloved Junto, when was the first time you left home? I'm not talking about the first time you left to visit somewhere else or departed for a good long while and came back again relatively unscathed. I'm talking about a time where you realized, maybe slowly or in an instant, that you'd be leaving a place and it would never occupy that role in your heart again. When did you leave one home in pursuit of another? For myself... It was September of 1723. Well, that's precisely 300 years from where we're sitting now. I was 17 years old, at the conclusion of my apprenticeship to my elder brother. Endeavoring first to remain in Boston, destiny would instead direct me to Philadelphia. Today's installment is about that journey. And the following, dear listener, are all my words, unedited and unabridged, taken from my autobiography. I shall, perhaps, on occasion, provide context where needed, but I want to allow the past to simply speak for itself, and shall trust in your imaginations to complete the journey as we make it. 
together. And so, I present to you, my beloved Junto, my journey from one home in pursuit of another. My inclinations for the sea were by this time worn out, or I might now have gratified them, but having a trade, and supposing myself a pretty good workman, I offered my service to the printer in the place, old Mr. William Bradford, who'd been the first printer in Pennsylvania, but removed from thence upon the quarrel of George Keith. He could give me no employment, having little to do, and help enough already. But says he, My son at Philadelphia has lately lost his principal hand, Aquila Rose, by death. If you go thither, I believe he may employ you. Philadelphia was a hundred miles further. I set out, however, in a boat for Amboy, leaving my chest and things to follow me round by sea. In crossing the bay, we met with a squall that tore our rotten sails to pieces, prevented our getting into the kill, and drove us upon Long Island. In our way, a drunken Dutchman, who was a passenger too, fell overboard, and when he was sinking, I reached through the water to his shock-pate and drew him up, so that we got him in again. His ducking sobered him a little, and he went to sleep, taking first out of his pocket a book, which he desired I would dry for him. It proved to be my old favorite author, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, in Dutch, finely printed on good paper, with copper cuts a dress better than I had ever seen it wear in its own language. I have since found that it had been translated into most of the languages of Europe, and suppose it had been more generally read than any other book, except perhaps the Bible. Honest John was the first that I know of who mixed narration and dialogue, a method of writing very engaging to the reader, who in the most interesting parts finds himself, as it were, brought into the company and present at the discourse. Defoe, in his Crusoe, his Maul Flanders, religious courtship, family instructor, and other pieces, has imitated it with success, and Richardson has done the same in his Pamela, etc., when we drew near the island, we found it was at a place where there could be no landing, there being a great surf on the stony beach. So we dropped anchor and swung round towards the shore. Some people came down to the water edge and halloed to us, as we did to them, but the wind was so high and the surf so loud that we could not hear so as to understand each other. There were canoes on the shore, and we made signs and halloed that they should fetch us but they either did not understand us or thought it impracticable. So they went away, and night coming on, we had no remedy but to wait till the wind should abate. And in the meantime, the boatman and I concluded to sleep, if we could, and so crowded into the scuttle with the Dutchman, who was still wet, and the spray beating over the head of our boat leaked through to us, so that we were soon almost as wet as he. In this manner we lay, all night, with very little rest." but the wind abating the next day, we made a shift to reach Amboy before night, having been thirty hours on the water without victuals or any drink but a bottle of filthy rum, and the water we sailed on being salt. In the evening I found myself very feverish, and went into bed, but having read somewhere that cold water drank plentifully was good for a fever, I followed the prescription, sweat plentifully most of the night, my fever left me, and in the moment, crossing the ferry, I proceeded on my own journey on foot. Having fifty miles to Burlington, where I was told I should find boats that would carry me the rest of the way to Philadelphia. It rained very hard, all the day. I was thoroughly soaked, and by noon a good deal tired. So I stopped at a poor inn, where I stayed all night, beginning now to wish that I had never left home. 
I cut so miserable a figure, too, that I found, by the questions asked me, I was suspected to be some runaway servant, and in danger of being taken up on that suspicion. However, I proceeded the next day, and got in the evening to an inn, within eight or ten miles of Burlington, kept by one Dr. Brown. He entered into conversation with me while I took some refreshment, and, finding I had read a little, became very social and friendly. Our acquaintance continued as long as he lived. He had been, I imagine, an itinerant doctor, for there was no town in England or country in Europe of which he could not give a very particular account. He had some letters and was ingenious, but much of an unbeliever, and wickedly undertook some years after to travesty the Bible in doggerel verse as Cotton had done Virgil. By this means he set many of the facts in a very ridiculous light and might have hurt weak minds if his work had been published, but it never was. At his house I lay that night, and the next morning reached Burlington, but had the mortification to find that the regular boats were gone a little before my coming, and no other expected to go before Tuesday, this being Saturday, wherefore I returned to an old woman in the town, of whom I had bought gingerbread to eat on the water, and asked her advice. She invited me to lodge at her house till a passage by water should offer, and being tired with my foot-traveling, I accepted the invitation. She, understanding I was a printer, would have had me stay at that town and follow my business, being ignorant of the stock necessary to begin with. She was very hospitable, gave me a dinner of ox-cheek with great goodwill, accepting only a pot of ale in return, and I thought myself fixed till Tuesday should come. However, walking in the evening by the side of the river, a boat came by, which I found was going towards Philadelphia, with several people in her. They took me in, and as there was no wind, we rode all the way, and about midnight, not having yet seen the city, some of the company were confident we must have passed it, and would row no farther. The others knew not where we were, so we put towards the shore, got into a creek, landed near an old fence with the rails of which we made a fire, the night being cold in October, and there we remained till daylight. Then one of the company knew the place to be Cooper's Creek, a little above Philadelphia, which we saw as soon as we got out of the creek, and arrived there about eight or nine o'clock on the Sunday morning, and landed at the Market Street Wharf. I have been more particular in this description of my journey, and shall be so on my first entry into the city, that you may, in your mind, compare such unlikely beginnings with the figure I have since made there. I was in my working dress, my best clothes being to come round by sea. I was dirty from my journey, my pockets were stuffed out with shirts and stockings, and I knew no soul, nor where to look for lodging. I was fatigued with travelling, rowing, and want of rest. I was very hungry, and my whole stock of cash consisted of a Dutch dollar and about a shilling in copper. The latter I gave to the people of the boat for my passage, who at first refused it on account of my rowing, but I insisted on their taking it, a man being sometimes more generous when he has but a little money than when he has plenty, perhaps through fear of being thought to have but little. Then I walked up the street, gazing about till near the market-house. I met a boy with bread. I had made many a meal on bread, and inquiring where he got it, I went immediately to the baker's he directed me to, in Second Street, and asked for biscuit, intending such as we had in Boston. But they, it seems were not made in Philadelphia. Then I asked for a threepenny loaf, and was told they had none such, so, not considering or knowing the difference of money, 
and the greater cheapness, nor the name of his bread, I bade him give me three penny worth of any sort. He gave me, accordingly, three great puffy rolls. I was surprised at the quantity, but took it, and having no room in my pockets, walked off with a roll under each arm, and eating the other. And thus I went up Market Street as far as Fourth Street, passing by the door of Mr. Reed, my future wife's father, when she, standing at the door, saw me and thought I made, as I certainly did, a most awkward, ridiculous appearance. Then I turned and went down Chestnut Street, and part of Walnut Street, eating my roll all the way, and coming round, found myself again at Market Street Wharf, near the boat I came in, to which I went for a draught of the river water, and being filled with one of my rolls, gave the other two to a woman and her child that came down the river in the boat with us, and were waiting to go farther. Well, thus, refreshed, I walked again up the street, which by this time had many clean-dressed people in it, who were all walking the same way. I joined them, and thereby was led into the great meeting-house of the Quakers near the market. I sat down among them, and after looking round a while and hearing nothing said, being very drowsy through labor and want of rest the preceding night, I fell asleep, and continued so till the meeting broke up, when one was kind enough to rouse me. This was, therefore, the first house I was in, or slept in, in Philadelphia. Walking down again toward the river, and looking in the faces of the people, I met a young Quaker man, whose countenance I liked, and accosting him, requested he would tell me where a stranger could get lodging. We were then near the sign of the three mariners. Here, says he, is one place that entertains strangers, but it is not a reputable house. If thee wilt walk with me, I'll show thee better. He brought me to the crooked billet in Water Street. Here I got dinner, and while I was eating, several sly questions were asked me, as it seemed to be suspected from my youth and appearance that I might be some runaway. After dinner my sleepiness returned, and being shown to a bed, I lay down without undressing, and slept till six in the evening, was called to supper, went to bed again very early, and slept soundly till next morning. Then I made myself as tidy as I could. I went to Andrew Bradford, the printer's. I found in the shop the old man, his father, whom I'd seen at New York, and who, traveling on horseback, had got to Philadelphia before me. He introduced me to his son, who received me civilly, gave me a breakfast, but told me he did not at present want a hand, being lately supplied with one. But there was another printer in town, lately set up, one Keimer, who perhaps might employ me. If not... I should be welcome to lodge at his house, and he would give me a little work to do now and then, till fuller business should offer. The old gentleman said he would go with me to the new printer, and when we found him, neighbor, said Bradford, I've brought to see you a young man of your business. Perhaps you may want such a one. He asked me a few questions, put a composing stick in my hand to see how I worked, and then said he would employ me soon, though he had just then nothing for me to do, and... Taking old Bradford, whom he had never seen before, to be one of the town's people that had a good will for him, entered into a conversation on his present undertaking and prospects, while Bradford, not discovering that he was the other printer's father, on Keimer's saying he expected soon to get the greatest part of the business into his own hands, drew him on by artful questions, and starting little doubts to explain all his views, what interests he relied on, and in what manner he intended to proceed. I, who stood by and heard all, saw immediately that one of them was a crafty old sophister and the other a mere novice. Bradford left me with Keimer, 
who was greatly surprised when I told him who the old man was. Keimer's printing house, I found, consisted of an old shattered press and one small, worn-out font of English, which he was then using himself, composing an elegy on a kilo rose. Before mentioned, an ingenious young man of excellent character, much respected in the town, clerk of the assembly, and a pretty poet. Keimer made verses, too, but very indifferently. He could not be said to write them, for his manner was to compose them in the types directly out of his head. So there, being no copy, but one pair of cases, and the elegy likely to require all the letters, no one could help him. I endeavored to put his press, which he had not yet used, and of which he understood nothing, into order fit to be worked with, and promising to come and print off his elegy as soon as he should have got it ready. I returned to Bradford's, who gave me a little job to do for the present, and there I lodged and dieted. A few days after, Keimers sent for me to print off the elegy, and now he had got another pair of cases and a pamphlet to reprint, on which he set me to work. These two printers I found poorly qualified for their business. Bradford had not yet been bred to it and was very illiterate, and Keimer, though something of a scholar, was a mere compositor, knowing nothing of press work. He had been one of the French prophets and could act their enthusiastic agitations. At this time, he did not profess any particular religion, but something of all on occasion, was very ignorant of the world, and had, as I afterward found, a good deal of the knave in his composition. He did not like my lodging at Bradford's while I worked with him. He had a house, indeed, but without furniture, so he could not lodge me. But he got me at a lodging at Mr. Reed's, before mentioned, who was the owner of his house, and my chest and clothes being come by this time, I made a rather more respectable appearance in the eyes of Miss Reed than I had done when she first happened to see me eating the roll in the street. I began now to have some acquaintance among the young people of the town that were lovers of reading with whom I spent my evenings very pleasantly, and gaining money by my industry and frugality, I lived very agreeably, forgetting Boston as much as I could. I suspect you know how the rest of the story goes, dear listener. Over the course of my career, first as a printer, then as a scientist, philosopher, politician, I would become a chosen son of Philadelphia. And so, three hundred years later, the arduous odyssey that brought me to that place somehow seems more worth it in hindsight. But isn't that always the case, dear listener? Now what lesson can we derive from today's installment? Leaving one's home, no matter the circumstances, is uncomfortable. It's frightening. It comes with grief. It comes with heartache. It can come with excitement and a sense of adventure. Perhaps some of you find yourselves in a very similar condition. Not necessarily in pursuit of a new home, but in a time of transition. The message for today's installment is to look for the people on your journey who can help, or who you can help along the way, Give bread to the hungry, sip tea with the lonely, listen to the unheard, and laugh with the somber. It's these acts of generosity that give flavor to a journey, and make you who you must be on the other side. For after all, dear listener, what is a journey if you're not a little bit changed on the other side? That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours in the day, but as always... We have nothing but time between us. Resource materials and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal section at www.bfranklinlive.com. 
If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Facebook at Let's Be Frank and Instagram at Be Franklin Live. And finally, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well, and always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends. <laughs>